you look at it, I did the stats. The average Missouri citizen makes around 44000 a year at an average tax rate of 20%. It would take one citizen 144 years in taxes to pay for my incarceration. Welcome to Reshaping Justice. This is the podcast where we tell the stories of prisoners who have served their time and more. Completely rehabilitated and held under the thumb of an arbitrary system, too worried about the whims and the creature comforts of the outdated parole board to seek any justice. With your host, former lawyer and legal defender, Dale Wiley. Few cases in Missouri's system illustrate the problems that there are with the probation and parole board better than Patrick Flaherty. Patrick Flaherty was 19 years old when he committed the crime of armed robbery. He didn't kill anyone, and he got away with a whopping $400. And in exchange, he gave up 40 years of his life. Four sentences of 10 years each run consecutively. At the beginning of the conversation, he misspeaks and says concurrent when he means consecutive, but he would have been better off if he would have killed someone under second-degree murder or even first-degree murder, and instead he's having to wait 40 years for these sentences. And he's served already more than 20 years. Let's hear from Patrick now and see what you think about his sentence and whether it was just. Reshapingjustice.org Patrick Flaherty. Okay. And tell me why you're in prison. I'm currently incarcerated for four counts of armed robbery where I committed them in 1999 and I utilized a BB gun and held up four gas stations for a little over $400 in order to pay my rent. Okay. And what was the sentence you were given? I was given four 10-year sentences ran concurrently meaning basically a 40-year sentence, and as the law says, I have to do 34 years before I'm eligible for parole. So did anybody die? Let's make clear that. Uh, No, sir. No physical harm was done to any of my victims. All right. And since you were incarcerated, how many years have you spent in prison? Uh, This November will be 21 years and counting. Wow. That's... To me, that seems completely unjust. So what have you done to try to get that changed? I have been in courts for almost the entire 21 years. I've filed everything from uh, ineffective assistance of counsel to 2905 to try to get my sentence adjusted to be a little bit shorter. I filed for clemency back in, oh, I believe, 2000 and, oh, geez, 2011 was when I filed for clemency to try to have the governor commute my sentences. Right. And what happened with that? Uh, It's currently pending. Oh, really? Well, that's good. Yes, sir. That's a decade later. They they are still examining it. And what are you trying to do with Kate Gibson? How is he trying to help you? Uh, Well, I recently filed a motion to try to have the parole board convert my consecutive sentences concurrent for parole. Uh, there was a law when I was sentenced that allowed them to do that in cases like mine. And I was basically petitioning for that type of relief, and the local courts here ruled against me, so I hired Mr. Gibson in order to handle my appeal. Okay, and what local courts? Uh, the local court would be here in Jefferson City, and it would have been Judge Green. Okay. And his decision was that the law 
uh, didn't apply to me then, doesn't apply to me now, and if I wanted to, I could always apply for clemency, which, like I said, ironically, I did a decade ago. Right. Okay. Well, tell me why he thought that. Why did he think that that law didn't apply? Uh, he didn't really give a reason. He stated that the board was under no mandatory you know, language to give anyone consideration for the law, which I found to be a little confusing. The, the state's attorney took the position that they couldn't find anyone who had ever been given that type of relief under the law, so I shouldn't have any expectation to it. So apparently the state never used the law. The judge says, I don't qualify for it, and I guess nobody ever got the relief based on the law before they took it off. Okay, well, tell me this. Why do you think you got such a, an incredible sentence? That's a question I ask a lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> There's no real answer. I've heard everything from one of my attorneys said the judge was up for re-election, so that may have played a part in it. Uh, you know, it was also the 1990s, and, you know, the 90s was the decade of, you know, locking people up. Yes. I think in, uh, in the 90s, yeah, the, the statistics are pretty crazy. I think Missouri's population grew by 9.3%, and mm-hmm. their prison population grew by 184%. Well, okay, but just to keep it in context, tell me what you've done since you've been arrested. Well, since I've been incarcerated, I've... Oh, gosh, the first major milestone, I would say, was I won an award from the governor at that time for helping needy children. <laughs> okay. Uh, after that, I built the Victims Memorial that I believe is still standing on the side of the old prison. Uh, the warden awarded me for helping the blind citizens of Missouri. I got my Braille transcription certification through the Library of Congress. Uh, went on and got my associate's degree, my bachelor's. I'm three classes away from my master's. I completed Bible study school. Uh, locks of love. I grew my hair out and donated it for cancer patients. Okay. Organized a charity drive and collected over 400 items from other inmates and sent them to a military unit in Afghanistan. There's not much I haven't done. Okay. Well, when we say that, though, just speak so that we're totally clear, is there any chance that you will ever see the inside of a prison again if you get out after having served 20 years for this? No, sir. I, this is my first time ever convicted of a felony, my first time in prison. I have a job waiting for me. I have a family, a place to go to. I mean, every single statistic you could ever find in the world points to me not coming back. Uh, Northwestern University just came out with a new study where they track over 400,000 inmates from 30 different states, and every single one that had their master's degree had a 0% recidivism rate. Really? And, yes, sir. And there's no situation I can imagine in my mind that would bring me back to prison. I can't envision anything. Yes. And tell me about the job. Uh, currently, I'm working in the information systems department of the prison, where I'm a data information analyst. Um, prior to that, I worked at the Braille Center transcribing books for uh, blind students in Missouri. And prior to that, I worked at the woodshop at the old prison where I made educational aids for underprivileged children. Okay. Also, your mother gave me a very impressive book. Tell me about the book that you have to give to anyone who asks. Uh, yes, sir. Whenever we filed to have my sentence reduced... What had occurred was we found another individual who was a prior persistent offender who had been to prison before, 
and had 10 years sentences on, on armed robberies just like mine, and he filed a motion. So we filed the same motion, and in doing so, my mother compiled a booklet of all my certificates, accomplishments, prison statistics, pretty much anything you could think of that would be relevant, and presented that to the judge with my petition. And when the judge refused, we have basically just kept adding to it. So it has basically all my accomplishments and things of that nature over the course of the last 21 years in one nice, succinct booklet that's probably an inch thick. Well, it's more than an inch thick. It's a large booklet. It really is. Yes, sir. I think she even put a business plan in there because my plan is to hopefully open up a braille business when I get out to continue helping blind students. Tell me what's involved with the braille stuff. How did that get started? Uh, Well, I originally got hired in the braille center at the old prison, and they wanted me to narrate math books. They couldn't find anyone quite qualified to narrate some of the higher-end math books. Okay. And nobody at that time in the prison was doing math in Braille, math or science. Right. Because it's a, it's a separate subtext type of, it's almost like a language within a language. So right. I learned it myself, taught myself, and then started the department myself. And at the height, we had 20 individuals underneath me in my department doing really? Braille. Yes, sir. We are producing probably two to three million pages of Braille per year just for my department. Wow. And of course, this is something you didn't know anything about. What what age were you when you were convicted? Uh, 21 when I was arrested, 22 when I was convicted, yes. Sir. Okay. And, and I'm 43 now, and I'll be 44 later this year. Right. And in other words, how much longer would you have to spend if the sentence stands? Uh, if the sentence stands, that would put me being eligible for release at the age of 56. Wow. So another 13 years. Yes, sir. Another 13 years until I'm eligible as everything stands right now. Another 13 years of taxpayers paying to keep you in jail. Yes, sir. I think uh, Missouri recently did a Justice Reinvestment Task Force initiative, and I took their report, and according to their own stats, Missouri's going to spend a little over a million dollars to keep me incarcerated, and if you look at it, I did the stats. The average Missouri citizen makes around 44000 a year at an average tax rate of 20%. It would take one citizen 144 years of taxes to pay for my incarceration. That is just stunning. That is in, that is just completely insane. You know, because I could hear you and I know you're not coming back to prison. It's, uh, it's stunning, especially in our current times with COVID-19. You know, it seems like education is getting cut and social services and things of that nature. And, you know, I always think to myself, man, how much taxpayer money is really being wasted by keeping me here, basically warehousing me. Right. And, you know, of course, that's one of the things that we talked about before we got on this phone call was you told me about the inmates and COVID. Yes, sir. Tell me about that. Uh, Currently, we, every prison in the state has had COVID cases with the exception of this one. And we just had, uh, I believe our first staff member test positive yesterday is what I was told. I haven't confirmed it yet, but I believe it to be accurate. And uh, on the news, Channel 10, I believe they said well over 200 staff tested positive throughout the state. And I believe the numbers are over 600 for inmates. Okay. And so once again, let's just say it. Are you coming back to prison? Uh, no, sir. Under no circumstances can I envision ever coming back to prison. I've okay. always, 
I've always told people, well, if you come to prison the first time, in a sense, you're ignorant because you don't understand necessarily the consequences of what you do. You can't have any type of comprehension of being stripped away from your family and the things you're going to have to go through. And if you come back to prison, that's different. I believe you're making a conscious choice, having been through the hell that is prison, to right. come back. That you, for lack of a better term, you know what you're getting into, and if you choose to take that chance, then you deserve it. I can't imagine anyone ever wanting to come back to this place. I mean, and just from what I know myself, I helped the uh, reentry division compile a comprehensive list of resources for inmates getting out. Uh, that they use now throughout the whole state, and there's plenty of resources out there. There's no excuse to come back, even for an individual who doesn't have family support like myself. And right. I just, uh, sir, under no circumstances can I ever envision coming back. I mean, my primary goal in life is just to gain my release and spend time taking care of my mother while there is still time to do so. Well, that's one thing. Tell me about your mother. Uh the one person who has been in my corner throughout my entire life. She is the motivation for everything I do, everything in my booklet, every certificate, college degree, every page in Braille I've ever done is because of her. She's always been there for me and <clears throat> definitely done everything within her power to try to help me become a better person. And, you know, unfortunately, it took me coming to prison to understand what an incredible, you know, family I had. And right. That's one of the biggest regrets I have, and now I just want the opportunity, like I said, while there's still time. You know, my mother is a retired senior citizen. I'd love to be out there and be able to help her and take care of her during her retirement years. So going back to your 21-year-old self, I mean, what decisions made had you made that put you in this position? Well, it was a combination of youth and stupidity. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I can understand that now, and, and the, the fact was, I have no excuse, or is no excuse for what I did, and I've never tried to make one. Right, and I you're not I claiming didn't. that you're innocent. This is something that no, you sir, did, I, and you got a 40-year sentence for this. I took full responsibility from it from the get-go. I didn't go through, you know, the jury trial and all of that. It's, I basically panicked. I was living on my own for the first time. I had my girlfriend living with me. I'd lost my job. And I needed to pay rent, and I just, at that time, and I just, I don't know what to tell you. Like I said, the, the toxic mix of youth and stupidity, <laughs> and I think foolish pride yeah, plays a big part in it also. There's no part of this where you're shifting responsibility. You're just trying to get out of serving an incredibly long sentence on this. Yes, sir. I've, I've never, ever, not since the day I was arrested, not accepted responsibility for what I did. I just feel that the amount of time I've done is way disproportionate. I mean, if you look at Missouri law, had I killed someone and gotten a life sentence, I would be eligible for parole after 25 and a half years. Right. Versus, versus armed robberies with a fake gun where no one was physically hurt, and I have to do 34. Wow. It just seems, you know, disproportionate to me, and it just seems like a waste of taxpayers' money. I mean... I just can't imagine any scenario where, A, I come back to prison, where, B, it does society any good to continue to keep me incarcerated. Right, right, at this time especially. And so that's the reason why I wanted to get you on here is to tell this incredible story. And what we're wanting to do 
is reshape the justice system. There is definitely room for common sense. I'm not against being tough on crime as long as it coincides with being smart on crime. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. I think there exists room to take a look at certain aspects of the justice system that can be improved upon and make society safer and save taxpayers' money at the same time. Right. And so anyway, I just, we're going to keep track of this case, and I thank you for being on here because this is a case of needing to reshape justice. And so thank you very much. Reshapingjustice.org Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, please visit reshapingjustice.org. There you'll find our full archive of past episodes as well. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash reshapingjustice. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Thank you for joining us on this journey to reshape justice, one episode at a time. Until next week.